Next, this month's special series focus on geriatric medicine and aging. ReachMD talks to experts about new thinking and innovations in the treatment of conditions of the aging body and mind. Our guest today teaches us and our patients and their families about the eight stations of late life, embracing slow medicine. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, Director of Foothills Psychiatry in Boise, Idaho, your host. And with me today is author Dr. Dennis McCullough. Dr. McCullough has been an in-the-trenches family doc and geriatrician for 30 years, and he serves as a faculty member in the Department of Community and Family Medicine at Dartmouth Medical School. His latest book is called My Mother, Your Mother, Embracing Slow Medicine, The Compassionate Approach to Caring for Your Loved Ones. Welcome to ReachMD. Thank you, Leslie. Pleasure to be with you. Now, Dennis, we talked in another segment about the first four stations of late life, but for those who didn't hear it, can you just briefly tell us what those four are? They are stability, compromise, crisis, and recovery, kind of short words for common situations that families find themselves in. Okay, now let's talk in depth about the last four. What should we as physicians be thinking during these four stages? So I guess we're up to number five now. We're up to number five, and station number five I term decline. And decline is where despite the best efforts that we make and the patient makes and the family makes, there's still a little bit of a downhill trajectory to their course in life, and it it may be very, very long. This could go on for years where we just can't get them up to a higher functional level, regardless of what we do. Yet the fall off of their life is relatively slow. It could take place at home, could take place in a nursing home, could be in assisted living. And this is a time when doctors tend to drop out. We know that there aren't enough doctors working in nursing homes right now. Many nursing homes have unfilled medical director positions. So I think the important thing for doctors to think about is how can I stay involved in a constructive way when everything seems to be going at this very, very slow pace? The specific things that I tried to point out are that, let's say for a a family member at home, an elder at home, doctors are often asked to be the Solomon to make decisions about arbitrary decisions about, well, it's time to move from the home, it's time to go to assisted living, etc. But I think that we have to think very, very hard about this whole issue of how much risk-taking when a person is frail and not doing so well, how much is it reasonable for a family to tolerate? And different families have different levels. I think doctors so quickly jump to this safety word. And mm. as soon as safety comes into a discussion, first of all, it induces a lot of guilt Because if something does go wrong then, the doctor tends to have given the message to the family that, well, I told you that safety was an issue, and I don't think that's fair. I think doctors should say, look, you all within your family need to make some trade-offs between safety and how much risk-taking is fair, because we know that health tends to be better in a familiar circumstance for an older person. The other thing that happens in decline is that doctors need to move much, much more toward a team approach and rely through communications on the word of social workers and bedside caregivers and nurses and therapists, because at this point, all of those people 
can make, and families, can make extremely useful contributions to understanding an older person. It's a time of watchful waiting with new problems that we have to give people, and we have to give ourselves time to reflect on, well, how much are we going to do around this new diagnosis of diabetes? Or what's the trade-off between continuing a very aggressive course of antihypertensives in an 89-year-old and allowing the blood pressure to be a little bit higher, but the risk of fault to be lower. So those are kinds of examples of things that happen in decline that doctors can very, very productively address. And it doesn't take all that much time. It just takes some willingness to engage. And isn't this a time, too, to update the advanced directives? Yes. In fact, in the station of decline and in the next stage, station which I term prelude to dying, it's very, very important, I think, to come up with a more detailed set of advanced directives that relate to the specific situation that Mm. somebody is facing Mm -hmm. and that really move beyond the broad general statement of values and preferences that people made when they were younger. So, for instance, in Oregon, they developed this wonderful system that's used now in in nursing homes in more and more places called PULSE. A physician orders for life-sustaining treatments. I use these regularly, as did our geriatric team. For instance, a discussion for an older person who has advancing dementia and their family might have to do with, well, what are the things that are likely to happen that we're going to face here in the nursing home where we might want to think hard about testing and the employment of antibiotics? And I always talk about pneumonia, urosepsis, congestive heart failure, falls and fractures, how are we going to address them? Particularly, let's say, with falls, if an older person falls and has been on the verge of fracturing because of previous falls, if they don't have the cognitive capacity to rehabilitate and if already they've been suffering lots of falls and we know that the chance of rehabilitation after surgery might be very, very poor, and they're a marginal surgery risk because of, let's say, the high risk of delirium, which is so, so high in a patient with dementia, happens. Do we talk about conservative management of a hip fracture, that somebody has reached the stage where they're likely going to be bedridden, and the issue is pain management and not restoration Mm -hmm. of anatomic perfection? Those are things that happen during the station of decline. We can talk about funerals. We can talk about the fact that there is going to be a huge amount of uncertainty about just how this will unfold, and we all have to become prepared for this kind of chronic uncertainty. Before we go on, Dr. McCullough, why don't you tell us where our listeners can find out more information about this? I'm happy to, Leslie. I have a website, www.mymotheryourmother, that's one word, .com. At the website, I have links to important sites for caregiver information, ranging from how to get into the most useful part of the Medicare site, for instance, how to uh, use uh, disease-oriented sites like the American Academy of Family Practice site and other sites to learn more about good links to diseases. I have a list of movies that relate to aging that I think that's a nice, lighter way to get accustomed to some of the issues that families face. So the website is rich with information and links, and I hope people get out to take a look at it. 
Okay, so we've talked about decline, prelude to dying. There are two stations left. What are they? One is death, and the other is grieving and legacy. You know, there are some wonderful books about the hospice or palliative care stage of late life, which is that small segment right at the end where there's active dying going on. So in my station of of death, I really talk about active dying. And what can a physician do? Begin to talk about the issue of location, where if death is coming, would a family be most comfortable with a death occurring? Or for an elder themselves, oftentimes they can make that decision. One of the wonderful things that happened uh, with a family several years ago in my practice was a grandmother had been in a nursing home for a couple of years, and it was clear that she was going to be near her death. And what the family did is they said, could we get hospice, not just to come and work with us in the nursing home, but we'd like to bring our grandmother home. And they took her home with hospice support, and she lived for a couple of weeks and died with the family all present. And And they did something, this doesn't happen very often, where they thought it was important to give her that one last gift of being at home with family only for her death. Mm. I thought it was quite wonderful. The other thing that physicians can do is what I call a shift from the sort of the numbers, the language of numbers and the language of medicine to more the language of the spirit. An example would be how useful is it to talk about vital signs at this point, not as useful as talking about comfort, which is something that the family can identify and share, to talk about issues that have to do with spirituality and spiritual connection. The emotional and psychological part of being at the deathbed is more important than knowing what the pulse oximeter is showing or the blood pressure is doing or temperature is going up. So I think that we have to change our language. And we have to learn to be present or connected at those moments where it makes a difference to family. For instance, when there's a faltering going on in spirit and comfort or confidence around a a home death with hospice, it makes such a difference for a physician to be involved by telephone, to be available to assure people that the course is going as one would expect it to. We all need to have our hands held. Certainly I found that way around the time of my mother's death. We need to have professionals who say to us, this is going as well as it can, and you can't do anything differently to make it better. You are all trying your very best, and things are going as well as they can. We can create an environment by taking machines out of the rooms of dying patients by weaning them. Even off things like oxygen, I've found over the years, if you're using small doses of morphine for comfort, for instance, and someone dying with congestive heart failure, the oxygen and the drying out of the membranes and the noise of the machine may not be offset by benefits. People. Yeah, and we rarely think about that. Now, the last station, grieving and legacy. I'm really interested in the legacy part. I think we've all learned a bit about grief, but tell us about legacy. Legacy is, to my mind, the integration of a life into the lives of those who carry on. And I think it's done through celebration. It's done through recognizing the values that someone had and maintaining a commitment to those values. And I think 
physicians can promote this by writing a brief note of condolence, and whether you're a primary physician or a specialist, to acknowledge what you as a physician recognized as gifts that a person who's died has given to all of us individually and maybe in a larger sense to the world, and to point those out to a family. I think those are cherished notes, and they help a family to remain focused on what the work of a family is, which is to reintegrate and carry on a life of an elder after death. I think that's the essence of legacy, giving people space to reflect, to be with those memories, to decide how to carry on. And doctors can promote that through these small ways. Well, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you, Leslie. It's a pleasure, as I said, to be with you. We've been speaking with Dr. Dennis McCullough about his new book, My Mother, Your Mother, Embracing Slow Medicine, The Compassionate Approach to Caring for Your Aging Loved Ones. We've explored the last four stations of life today. If you've missed the first show on the first four stations, you may go to our website at www.reachmd.com. You've been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Geriatric Medicine and Aging. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, visit us at ReachMD.com.